Hello, listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut. Today, it's the afternoon of Friday, the 5th of November, and I'm joined here in Seoul around the NK News Podcast table for the first time in many, many months by three members of the NK News team. We have founder of NK News and NK Pro, Chad O'Carroll, correspondent, Jongmin Kim, and managing editor at NK News and NK Pro, Arias Dare. Thanks, guys, for joining me around the table today. Hey, Jacko. Hello. Hello. Great to see you in the studio once again. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird feeling, and uh, without masks, too, uh, and no plastic dividers. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to remind our audience, please, to leave a review about this podcast episode, wherever you can. And you might wonder, why do I always ask you to do this? And it's so that people can discover our podcast more easily. You've found it, but now we need more people to find it. And no reviews means that the all-powerful algorithm pushes us down the metaverse podcast rabbit hole into the abyss of ignorance, and no new people will ever listen to us. So please leave a review. And while you're at it, share this podcast with everyone you know and three people who you don't, because I'd like to reach 1% of Joe Rogan's audience by the end of the year. Do you think we can do it? Yeah. Yeah. That didn't sound very certain <laughs> at all. Secondly, check out nknews.org and consider buying a subscription. Thirdly, have you ever wanted a North Korean leadership wall chart to help you understand who's who within the DPRK's opaque government structure? Now you can get your hands on that and more at the website nknews.org slash shop. There's only, there's only 10 left, I think, actually, of, of the Ooh. wall chart, so people need to hurry up. I'd better snap up one of those for myself. Now, there's also a calendar for next year, 2022. We'll be talking about that a bit later on in the podcast. If you have any feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, send them to podcast at nknews.org. Now then, uh, Chad and Jongmin, you both recently went on trips to Europe and Great Britain. Welcome back. Oh, I like that, Europe and Great Britain. <laughs> well, yeah, after Brexit, we can't... I can't Not call them. one and the same, not They're, anymore. That's right. Uh, technically correct. There is the... Uh, the yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, Chad, many of your meetings we cannot talk about because they're off the record, but I hope you can share some overall observations. What's the vibe like? Uh, well, I mean, I'll just give you some initial vibes. As someone that's been in South Korea for the, the last two years, getting off the plane 10 days ago was really an eye-opener, just you know, going from being masked to... Was this in, in London or in, in the continental Europe? Uh, well, I... I, I Changed flights in Amsterdam ah. first, uh, and I, I noticed it there. Uh, but coming off the plane in London, it was A, uh, no masks. B, it was Sunday morning, and the airport was rammed. It was like the busiest I've seen London Heathrow Airport and Seoul. In contrast, I think the flight board had eight or nine flights hmm. uh, for the whole day, and London, it was just packed. So life is back to normal there. Is it people fleeing Britain or people going in? I think uh, uh, going in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a popular place to go right now. But mm. yeah, so that was a big shock. And genuinely, it took a little bit of time to sort of acclimatize myself to the fact that I was the odd one out wearing a mask, like walking around yeah. and, and so on. But um, yeah, my first day, uh, I attended a conference organized by the International Institute for Strategic Studies, IISS. Hello, IISS. Uh, and uh, Dr. Lankov was a, a talker, a speaker, mm. one of our uh, our colleagues. And yeah. so uh, I had the, you know, I'm from London and uh, Lankov is always a sort of hero of mine when I was a master's student at King's College London. And I got to uh, meet 
Blankov outside my old university wow. 12 years later and, and go for an Indian meal with him. Which nice. is a bit surreal <laughs> yeah. how, how things have, uh, have changed over the last few years. But um, that was that was nice. Um, the IISS conference was, was any of that on the record? Any of that you could yeah, share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was uh, focused on um, uh, re-engaging North Korea on its nuclear and ballistic missile capabilities, which is uh, definitely an important topic. Yeah. So Lankov was was there. Uh, Bob Gallucci was was zooming in. Kelsey Davenport, who who's um, uh, working on arms control issues, um, amongst others. They were all uh, at attending the meeting and uh, uh, several European speakers. And, uh, you know, it, it was nothing like earth shattering. It, t- it was really a, a sort of a reaffirmation of things that we've talked about on this podcast before that, you know. If there's... I can channel my inner Lenkov, um, North Korea will never denuclearize, <laughs> so engaging them will achieve nothing, so why bother? He start. I think he actually started off by saying that. Huh. Um, that well, the first part: North Korea will never denuclearize. Frankly speaking, right. <laughs> but yeah, that you know, I think it was just the, the the sort of recent conversation we've been having across the world since uh, Trump administration negotiations broke down. That there needs to be some pragmatism. There needs to be some uh, real thinking about this. And honestly. Uh, fake pursuit of denuclearization with uh was, was know, that his uh, phrasing fake pursuit kind of yeah like okay. just like a and you know we know it's not going to happen but that mm. has to be the glue that gels this conversation together for it to mm. pass the litmus test in washington etc so it's like the geopolitical version of virtue signaling yeah and but it's really just an arms control conversation so that was um that was uh, good to see, and like, and yeah, it was an in-person event in London. Um, you had to have a, a vaccine certificate to get in, so that's maybe a thing that we're going to see in mm-hmm. the future. Um, but it was really nice to just be able to walk around, talk to people, shake people's hand. No, you're not meant to do that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yep. yeah, fist bumps. elbow bumps. No, I I tried kicks. doing that at the start, but a lot of people were just going straight in with a hand handshake. Wow. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was it was great to just do something real once again. And you also attended a conference on COVID in China, I believe. Was there anything there touching on or involving North Korea? No, I, I was presenting up in uh, the University of uh, Lancashire, which is uh, a school, one of, in fact, the only school in the United Kingdom that has a North Korea studies program at master's level. Uh, so I presented to their students about COVID in North Korea. I had a very interesting chat. Uh, it was really you know, you go to the north of England, three hours by train from London. It's a pretty industrial town. And there you are talking to people who are really engaged about North Korea. It was a really pleasant surprise and actually really diverse group of people as well. Uh, there was a, a young lady from Cameroon who's uh, studying about food in North Korea. Hmm. And uh, we both had a lot in common about Monique Macias. Oh, yeah. Uh, she, did, did she know who she was? Yeah, she knew, she knew well who Monique Macias was okay. and said when she used to live in Cameroon that everyone knew about Monique Macias and wow. and North Korea was actually on most Cameroonians' mind as like an ideal place to, to be, not, not South Korea due right. to the Cold War. For oh. listeners who may not be aware, who is that? Yes. Monique Macias, good point. Yeah, she's the daughter of the former leader of Equatorial Guinea, who in the early 1980s, when her uncle purged her father to take leadership of Equatorial Guinea, she uh, was sent to North Korea by her father in his last days 
for safekeeping under Kim Il-sung. And Kim Il-sung raised her and her brother in Pyongyang. And sister. Right? Oh, the, the, yeah. the three of them were wards of Kim Il-sung. It's almost like something out of a Batman comic, right? That, it's a uh, wild story and yeah. we have to get her on the podcast at some point. Well, She's uh, she did come on briefly to talk about her experience there at the, co- the Culture uh, and Youth Festival in 1989. And I promised or I've had her promise to me that when the English version of her book comes out in print, she will come on this podcast and talk at length about it. May that day come soon. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was really nice. Was she not at the conference? or do you no, know? no, no, no. Okay, no I believe no, she's no. in London these days. She's in London, I think. Mm. But, um, yeah, and then just besides that, some meetings I can't talk about, um, unfortunately, which were very interesting. Mm. But, yeah, we had a nice uh, social gathering of North Korea watchers, uh, in London, in Whitehall, um, just outside the British Foreign Office. Um, I'm not going to name who was there, but it was it was really nice. To, it was kind of like a reunion of, mm. of Brits who <laughs> focused on North Korea. And, and there just happened to be some visitors in town that we had a very nice uh, selection of beers and nice. conversations. Any North Korean beers? No, no, no. Now, you've said before uh, on the podcast that you don't believe North Korea will open again for another year or two or three even. Is that the vibe that you got from the, the meetings that you had? Yeah, some of, some of the experts in, uh, in London that attended that informal meeting, um, some of them are working professionally on the topic. And uh, we looked at it, we discussed it through the prism of when will China open. And the thinking was that that's impossible before not just only the winter olympics but also the forthcoming congress Mm. uh, at the very very least so still like i think that's six months or so um and uh yeah on on the north korea front what i was hearing from informed sources that um have a an interest in going back is that doesn't seem on the cards like there's, there's no indicator of 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 that coming up anytime soon right so no uh no diplomats are packing their bags just yet to rush uh, to get a plane to Pyongyang. Right, right. Now, your uh, visit to Europe uh, or to, to Britain uh, coincided loosely with President Moon Jae-in's own visit to, uh, to those parts of the world. Was that a coincidence? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think it was a coincidence. He was following, um, <laughs> mm. following myself. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, yeah, it, it was a coincidence. The, the uh, climate change COP... I don't know what it stands for, but... COP26 Climate Change Conference. Yeah. Conference on Climate Change. That was on in Scotland the, the this week, so yeah, the week, week after, but there was preparatory moves because the North Koreans were going there. And I learned one stat that the, the North Koreans were sending three people and the US were sending 3,000 delegates. Hello. So, yeah. Boy, it's quite a lot there. Uh, turning now to Jongmin, you, uh, how, how was your trip and where did you go? I went to Stockholm and actually it was my first ever trip to Europe, Mm. uh, which was fascinating. Um, And also my first trip ever abroad since the COVID-19 global pandemic started. It was actually quite fascinating because the last time I I went abroad was actually for um, NK News team visiting Washington, D.C. in 2020, January for the conference. And I still remember the day, January 20th or something in D.C. reading that North Korea is starting emergency anti-epidemic measures, and now two years have passed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Jongmin, you also had some meetings uh, that were um, off the record, so you can't give us any details, but what's the general vibe there in Europe on uh, relations with North Korea? 
it was actually my first time in Europe, so I had no idea before I actually went there in person how much interest there are on the ground on multiple countries and many, many experts who are interested in um, engaging with North Korea and also trying to resolve the uh, denuclearization issue. But the difference from the things that we usually cover, the US-DPRK relations or South Korea-North Korea relations, is that many of the things that are going on in Europe, I think they are off record. And rather than seeking optics or showing the, the legacy politics or anything that we sometimes see here, it seemed that um, it was actually a very robust debate and discussion on North Korea was going on in Europe that I honestly did not know of. And it was eye-opening for me mm. to actually meet these experts and um, officials in Europe as well. And also, it seemed there were some frustration on multiple European countries um, that perhaps South Korea or some other countries as well are homogenizing Europe too much. Um, there is, we can see from Brexit already that Europe is not completely a homogenous uh, group mm -hmm. with just one view on North Korea. There are uh, France and United Kingdom, they are on UN Security Council, and there are European Parliament working on North Korea issues. They have many different groups, many different bodies that have have slightly deferring views mm -hmm. on North Korea, but it seemed that they are still willing to cooperate with each other. But I generally saw frustration that maybe South Korea is see seeing uh, Europe too much as a peace seeker um, rather than, um, you know, getting into a more substantial discussion with them on things that happen inside North Korea and on denuclearization talks and talking to the uh, people who were involved in this for decades and decades. It seems that... Um, uh, sometimes here in South Korea, their knowledge and experience on North Korea, engaging with North Korea, is underrated. I think mm. they should be reported a little more here. Uh, last year in February, when I was in Brussels, I interviewed uh, Lucas Mandel, the uh, member of the European Parliament, uh, on episode 118 of this podcast. He, uh, if, if I'm correct, he's still chair of the delegation to the European Parliament's delegation for relations with the Korean Peninsula. He was quite new in that role at the time and hadn't yet uh, made a pilgrimage to the Korean Peninsula to uh, sort of look at the facts on the ground. Did you see him on this most recent trip? Are you able to tell me that? I actually got an exclusive interview with him. Um, he was actually, I was there to attend a conference hosted by the Global uh, World Korea Forum, a Korea Global Foundation, and the forum name was World Korea Forum. Thank uh -huh. you for inviting me again. There were multiple um, MEPs and other former officials there, um, including uh, MEP Lucas Mandel. Yeah. Um, and also there were uh, experts from CIPRI and ISDP and so on and so forth. And also there were South Korean lawmakers there ah. talking about end of war declaration, of course. Oh, yes. yes um, that's which, still I, a hot topic. which I will be talking about later on. Did they go specifically on. for the conference, the MEPs? Sorry, uh, the South Korean officials. Uh, South Korean lawmakers, I think it, I, it wasn't clear, I think, but then I think they were invited specifically for mm -hmm. that conference because I heard they were heading back the day ah. after the forum. I interviewed Lucas Mandel yeah. um, after at, at the sideline of the forum, and the timing was actually quite interesting because it was still amid uh, the uncertainty whether or not North Koreans will um, go to Brussels ah. for the meeting, which was canceled right. um, reportedly. R reported by Nor NK News, but um, but then I asked uh, Mr. Mandel if he is still willing to talk to 
the North Korean counterparts through a video conference, and he said absolutely, and that he wouldn't set bars on how and when and where to meet them. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's very similar to the talking point from U.S. officials, like uh, without preconditions anywhere, right. anytime. But the substance, substance, it seems it's a bit different. Um, it seemed that Mr. Mandel is interested um, in. Uh, how they are there i think he realizes there has been a deadlock and i he was openly admitting that um sometimes the eu parliament has weakness in terms of so-called hard power he said but he uh, continually stressed that um european parliament has different strengths such as the track record of uh, trust building and cooperation with other countries as well as on certain issues with North Korea. Um, and on sanctions, his view uh, was that um, there may be some sort of step-by-step uh, -step relief uh, when it comes to um, not like a so he was basically saying that the sanction model should be based on specific persons or entities rather than an entire industry. Mm. Um, and another thing was that um, even if we are rediscussing sanctions issues, he says uh, we should always remember um, why uh, sanctions are there um, and that the changes by, the by North Korea should come first. Mm -hmm. uh, did you also meet... Uh Glenn Ford, former member of the European Parliament who was on episode 61 talking about his book, How to Talk to North Korea. Yes, Glenn, if you're listening, thank you so much for um, basically taking me everywhere to see ah. Europe and all the uh, people that you know. Um, I've actually, the thing I just said about how South Korea and the Korean Peninsula in general should realize much more about the European experience about handling North Korea is actually a lot I've seen from Glenn's remarks during the conference and mm. off the conference. Um, it seems that often on on Korean Peninsula and also often between Washington and Pyongyang, the issues are very much politicized. Um, and very man many of the times, the general talking points keep re uh, echoing itself. But uh, the two days of conference, I've seen many, many ideas that could turn into substantial stuff if we listen a little more. Mm. Um, we being, what, South Korea? Yes, sorry, I'm a South Korean citizen. Right. Um, <laughs> and also, um, I've and also... And maybe the Americans. Yes, too. maybe Americans. Mm -hmm. um, other people I've interviewed there were um, also MEP, former MEP uh, Ursula Stenzel. Um, she was there in North Korea in 2005 with Glenn. Ah. Um, and also uh, former IAEA uh, Miss Laura Rockwood. Um, who talked about uh, the from the International issue. Atomic Energy Agency? Yes, ah, thank you. Okay, well, I was going to be uh, actually, yeah, I was going to bring them up because uh, their uh, weapons inspectors were, or their nuclear inspectors were last expelled from the DPRK over twelve years ago in two thousand nine. Does the IAEA have any relevance to North Korea and denuclearization today, given that they haven't been there for so long? Um, I, I didn't ask that question specifically, but there were very long discussions on how to get IAEA back into North Korea to, for, for inspection, and there were some mm -hmm. ideas. So I think it's considered still um, relevant or needed. Well, the IAEA, I'm sure, is, is keen to go back in, but is it, it, are others keen to have them back in? So North, from North Korea's point of view, I think the consensus during the forum was that they don't have much incentive right now to get IAEA back into the country. Mm. But um, 
Ursula Stenzel actually um, said that the core thing about sanctions relief or corresponding measure is to build trust. And from North Korea's point of North Korea side, they have to build trust through allowing inspectors again into the country. And then how to do it, I asked. And she mm. said that other countries should persuade China to actually give some pressure on the, the necessity of inspection for North Korea to prove its willingness to actually denuclearize. Speaking of uh, points that get raised again and again, that does sound like there, there's a couple of favorites right there, right? Uh, trust building, number one, and persuade China to persuade North Korea to X, number two. Those are, uh, we're all nodding along there because we've all heard those, those things yeah. before. Uh, was, was Glenn hopeful? I know Glenn's always quite optimistic. Uh, I'll pass on that question. Okay. Was anybody hopeful? Because right now I cannot really distinguish between what he said off record right. and what he said on record. Ah, yeah, okay. yeah. Was anybody uh, on record as being p- optimistic? Um, there were people who Bob were Gallucci on on the <laughs> event I was in, but what he's did he always say? he's well, he's always quite optimistic. He's upbeat, yeah, and yeah. he was part of the the ninety four agreed framework, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Belankov was. Was like a ice cube to his optimism. <laughs> From our forum, actually, there were, um, like I mentioned, there were South Korean lawmakers there, mm. um, and they were mostly. I think all of them were ruling party lawmakers. Ah, that's and the uh, the Minju yes. party. Yep. And it seemed like they were there to pitch hard on the end of war declaration, how it's needed, and also how North Korea is actually interested. So, mm. um, if we look at recent statements, some of the people, uh, some people. Um, sort of uh, disagreed with each other on how to read Kim Yo-jong's statement on, on end-of-war declaration. Right, is she open, is she not open? Right, mm. so sh- she sort of mauled over both ideas. Like she said, this is an interesting idea, but da 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 And then it, I could see from the South Korean lawmakers' prepared speech and remarks that they believe that that is North Korea showing interest mm-hmm. in getting on board. And then I think a lot of their arguments pivoted back to how the United States should be on board as well um and also how they hope that the european countries uh would also support the idea um yeah there's that european designation yeah, without yeah, naming the Hamad, specific yeah, capitals Hamad, right yeah. Yeah. the uh, the the uniform uh or sort of monolithic yeah uh, i feel Europe. like they should ask france and united kingdom and sweden like all separately mm. uh but then get them in 26 ro- how many members are they get them in 20 whatever rooms uh, and ask them all one by one uh, are you able to tell us anything about uh, North Korea's attendance at COP26? You mentioned that there were three. Um, did they you know, have any trouble getting in? In the video, I could only see two, but I'm not sure if there was the ambassador and the person who was accompanying him. Ambassador to? Ambassador to the United Kingdom was okay. there. Uh, we could see him with the delegation, uh, the, the, the banner in front of him saying the Democrat, Democratic Republic of Korea um, he was there for Moon's speech, as far as we can right. tell. Hmm? He was there for Moon Jae-in's speech, as far as we can tell. Right, mm. and the South Korean delegation were sitting two or three rows behind them, so it was the optics were actually quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that there were some networking events before or after it, but I'm not sure if North Koreans were actually there to um, mingle with mm. the other officials. Um, there were some reported chaos at the start, uh, of the event with some South Korean media outlet reporting that um, Ambassador Che got rejected from the gate. but um, He didn't have the right lanyard? Uh, it, it seemed that he didn't have the right ticket to get into that particular gate. But mm. then we could see from other videos that he got in all right and then maybe that report was overblown. 
Um, but the gist is he got in. Okay. Uh, and then he was there. Um, and when South Korean reporters ran into him and asked, why are you here? He said, he reportedly said, I'm here to, uh, for the debates. For he the said, debates. Yeah. Okay. He didn't say, I'm here to save the world. No, but no. the South Korean uh, environmental minister after uh, President Moon Jae-in's speech said that she's really looking forward to uh, meeting with North Koreans and discuss cooperation on issues like reforestation, afforestation. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, there, is, there has been no public report on whether or not that happened. How does, how does that work there? At a conference like COP26, is every leader or every chief delegate supposed to give a speech? I think it's only the the head of state level, maybe. I see. Okay, so the, so we can't expect any any public speech from the North Koreans. Yeah, then. we weren't expecting mm. it because we already heard from sources, source informed source that um, they are there for as an observer. Mm. But I'd heard from another source that they were going to do a three minute speech. Right, right. Someone said the, that. But but yeah, it hasn't happened yet. Don't know if it did. I mean, it's possible it, it happened in some kind of closed door environment. Um, mm. Journalists are not there for all of it. Journalists but, may have missed it. Right. A but, tree fell on the train line from London to uh, Glasgow, ironically, that prevented oh yeah. a lot of people getting there. And British journalists were saying nature was taking charge of the situation. There you go. Too many trees near train lines. That's the problem. Uh, now, Arius, turning to you as managing editor, you have perhaps the best bird's eye view of all the stories current and trending on uh, North Korea. Well, we last had a roundtable like this um, a little bit over a month ago, just before I uh, went overseas on a bit of a vacation. So what's caught your eye these last few weeks on North Korea? Well, just to uh, coincide with the conversations that uh, Jungmin was having about sanctions relief, mm. um, there was this uh, re-upping of a proposal from Moscow and Beijing yeah. uh, submitted to certain uh, UNC, uh, UNSC member states. Uh, basically, it rehashes a lot of the same language from a similar effort in 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the timing is, is interesting because uh, there's just a ton of chatter and unconfirmed reports that China and the DPRK have resumed uh, land trade. Now, this would be a significant development. Mm. Uh, we are reasonably confident that there is some regular and sustained and routine trade uh, coming in. Uh, to Nampo, uh, North Korea's uh, west coast uh, major ah, seaport not there. not by land, but by sea. Yeah, that, that, that's correct. But uh, actually coming in uh, on freight, uh, freight trains, uh, trucks, cars, however it may be, we haven't seen any evidence of that. However, uh, consistent reports seems to suggest otherwise. Uh, this tracks with our own in-house analysis of this disinfection center that's been going up at Shiniju. Mm. And I, by going up, I mean it's been going up in the conventional North Korean stop-and-go way where it seemed to be a flurry of construction, I think maybe as early as, uh, as May. Or I think we talked about that six maybe, months ago. Maybe even April. With Colin, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, we were also reasonably confident then, like, yeah, this summer it's going to, you know, they're kind of going to reopen. Mm. There seems to be a lot of buildings there. Seems to be a, that it could handle a lot of capacity. Now, this is at a, an older train station, so you have the rail infrastructure um, already set up. Mm -hmm. You see people in it. You see vehicles moving up, up and around in, um, in imagery. Uh, but so far, as far as we can tell, land trade has not resumed. Because we would see that from satellite ph ph photography, wouldn't we? Th that's correct. And we would also be able to have more maybe on-the-record reports, whether whether it's from, right. uh, say, Weibo Pictures or you know some, some other, maybe not necessarily government channels, but other evidence streams that we could point to and say, yeah, look, you know what? It, it seems that DPRK and China trade has resumed. Now, it, it should be caveated that 
uh, any any resumption in trade is going to be a slow trickle. I wouldn't expect it to go from you know zero to a hundred mm-hmm. or over nine thousand, uh, you know, immediately. Uh, but it would constitute a significant return to normal uh, for a North Korean state that has been largely cloistered in for about two years since the mm. COVID nineteen pandemic broke out of its own volition. Which that's we correct. Point that's that's almost like self imposed sanctions, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I was also struck by the uh, the story in the last week or two um, of. President Moon's uh, visit uh, and meeting with uh, Pope Francis and attempts to convince him to visit North Korea. Uh, yeah. Is this, and I'm going to throw in my uh, Catholic U.S. football-inspired pun here, is this a Hail Mary attempt by uh, President Moon to get something nice to end his presidency on? Well, to be frank, Jacko, I have no idea what it is. Um, is it is it born out of Moon Jae-in's deep Catholic faith? Um, is it born out of a, a genuine belief that you know this could inspire some sort of uh, Christian uprising in the North that's going to overthrow the Kim Jong Un regime? That seems um, unlikely. Is it is it because the Pope himself has a real vested interest in inter-Korean issues and you know feels that he has the the agency and the influence um, over uh, Kim Jong Un to actually do something? I, I don't know. This has actually spawned a lot of like you know fun and Biden, Biden Catholic as well, right? Um, it's fun. A lo- it's it's spawned a lot of kind of fun, interesting debates here in the office about what exactly this means. Mm. Um, on the hail Mary, it's not the first time that he's uh, he's invited or, or somebody has invited the uh, the Pope to visit no, North no, Korea. No, I right? mean the, the, this conversation has been going on for for years, and, mm. and Moon Jae-in is not the first South Korean president to to kind of float similar ideas. Nor is Kim Jong Un. Uh, the first leader who is allegedly kind of interested in uh, inviting world religious leaders. Um, <laughs> Can you just yeah. imagine Kim with a cigarette out, <laughs> the Pope in his Pope mobile, <laughs> and the, uh, parading through the streets of Pyongyang, yeah. right? Yeah. In a bulletproof uh, Pope mobile, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, in terms of optics from a North Korean perspective, I mm-hmm. think that it's pretty straightforward. Um, you you like these types of legitimizing exercises. You like to be pictured with world leaders. Mm. Uh, you like to be seen as just this normal state doing normal state things. Um, and certainly, a visit by the Pope is is a pretty you know normal and procedural. From South Korea's point of view, from 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 the Vatican's point of view, I struggle to see what exactly the real tangible win will be for this. A papal visit is uh, normal and procedural in a country where um, ordained priests are allowed to carry out the mass, which does not happen in North Korea. So I imagine that the Vatican would want at least uh, the ability to start um, naming some uh, bishops and priests in North Korea uh because at the, it's, know, all they, pro- they, it's all protestant there right? no, i mean there is yeah. a catholic cathedral there it's but they, is, they only is, have is there a catholic i thought it's they, protestant. they have a catholic cathedral and Do two they? catholic churches that's right uh in pyongyang but at the catholic cathedral because there are no ordained priests all they can have is a prayer service um i thought there's russian orthodox there's that too and yep. i th- i got the impression the others were protestant well, officially, yes, yeah. just be because of these these administrative issues that, that Jack was talking oh, about. I right. see, I see. But they do yeah. so they the, do mass. They can't, no, they can't do. If there's oh. no priest, you can't do a mass. They you do, can do the, a prayer they service. They the motions. But you yeah. can right. do uh, some parts of the liturgy, perhaps, but certainly no mass because you know you need a priest to consecrate the host. No there, body so. of Christ. Right. Uh, so that would be something I imagine that you know the the Vatican would not be sending the Pope for free. It would want something in exchange, and that would include, I would imagine, the ability to for the the mass to take place again in, in Pyongyang, and, and that might be a step too far for the North Koreans. And it should be noted that you know the the, the Christian community, uh, quote unquote, in North Korea is, mm. is, is is there's a lot of unanswered questions about that. Mm-hmm. There, there there are some that maintain that there is an underground Christian. 
uh, community there that 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 does um, worship Christ and you know partakes in in, in regular prayers. Uh, others say that actually North Korea has completely stamped this out, and there is in fact no underground Christian movement or in fact any other alternative ideology or or, or challenging uh, ideology to uh, Kim Jong Un. Uh, the churches that do exist there are largely believed to be show churches. Uh, these are places where uh, foreigners are paraded uh, about to basically show, again, look, we're, mm-hmm. we're a totally normal country doing nor- nor- normal things. Um, I, I do wonder, and Chad, this might actually be a, a good question for you. If, if you are a, a Protestant or a Catholic diplomat there in the country, are you invited to these services? Is this something that you could regularly attend? Because we know, uh, for example, um, uh, Muslims in the country that are at the Syrian embassy, for example, can attend um, uh, the Iran embassy, the Iran embassy mosque services, right? Yeah. yeah, well, the Russians go to the, the their one. Um, I think anyone who's a foreigner that requests, even tourists, you, mm, you right. probably know about this, Jacko. No, I, I didn't know that tourists yeah. could request. You, you can. Well, you're no. I remember. I think I wrote about this. I think no, no. Tourists have requested in the past to go to the mosque and not been allowed. Oh. But I believe, yeah, tourists can request to have the uh, churches on their itinerary. <clears throat> but there was a great uh, French photographer, Eric Lafour. Mm. Um, he has a great video from uh, one of these show churches where the um, religious official, I don't know, given there's no priest, I don't know what you'd call them. Right. Um, Eric asks in French, like, um, you know, ha, I'm, I'm, he's, he's taping saying, can you make it, um, can you share a message uh, with the Christian world? And the, the, the translator says in Korean, oh, he, he says you've got to make a message for the Christian world, just make something up. And then they both start laughing at each other, oh not realizing that Eric's going to translate this and put it on YouTube. It's got thousands of views, tens of thousands of views, and then um, he just delivers some nonsense message. But it it was just a really very, I think it just perfectly encapsulated mm. North Korean church. And uh, I know you've had a fantastic guest from the world something of churches. Yeah, the World Camps of Churches uh, in um it? Switzerland. It's in Switzerland, in yeah, Geneva. The Australian guy. Yes, whose name escapes momentarily, but the uh, the Australian fellow great, was uh, great podcast friend with uh, with Oliver Hotham. Yeah, uh, from his childhood. Yes. Yeah, that was a good good interview. But um, I mean, yeah, his, his point was that those Christians participating in in North Korean Christians could actually be two or three generations down from genuine Christians in mm-hmm. Pyongyang before Kim Il Sung kind of worked that out. Um, that they may actually still make some space for mm. for those people to have some. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's a Scorsese silence part two, right? Say that again. Scorsese's silence. Well, we'll have to cut this out now. But yeah, Martin Scorsese did a movie about an under, the underground Christian. Did he? Uh, oh. uh, underground Christians in feudal Japan. Ha. Huh, okay. Well, and how, how basically that that was a line is that for decades, even after right. uh, the samurais had you know basically killed all all of them, there were these underground Christian groups. And, right. and the samurai, the uh, Toshigawa shogunate, was in very you know strong efforts to basically ferret them out and torture them to death. Well, and and the, the same is true also in uh, not just in uh, well in, in pre-colonial uh, Korea, uh, right uh, when Catholicism was banned. Um, some French priests had themselves smuggled into Korea and they were ultimately found and executed and all That's, the believers were. So yeah. uh, that, that happened here as well. And so for a long time, they had no priest and no mass. Late 19th century, yeah, yeah. Mm. Now, I was also struck by another interesting story that the, uh, the North Korean ambassador to the UN, Kim Song, uh, called for the United Nations command to be dismantled. 
What's his, are you aware of what his argument for that is or, or what that's all about? Well, it's kind of interesting because it, it, it kind of like aligns with comments from the presumed front runner of the South Korean uh, presidential race next year, Lee Jae-myung, mm. who basically, I, I don't know how pre-planned his comments were, but he basically was kind of doubting the mandate uh, of the UNC and, and, wow. and whether or not it was appropriate uh, that they were still here. Mm. Uh, the, the UNC, of course, works with the USFK and, and ROC forces um, to defend the South Korean peninsula. Uh, they participated in the Korean War and repelled uh, Chinese and uh, North Korean armies uh, for a number of years. Um, and as a result of that, you have this truly international multilateral force at the DMZ, at parts of the DMZ. You can see all of these countries' flags, right. uh, all the sending states' flags, which which really, I think, shows that this is an international coalition united against oppression and totalitarianism in North Korea. And so it, it, it's absolutely not surprising that they would feel uncomfortable with this because the North Koreans really want to focus the discussion on the U.S. Mm. It, it is the U.S.'s fault. It is the U.S.'s problem. The U.S. is why the U.S.'s hostile policy is why, quote, right. unquote, uh, progress is not being made. And that's much harder to do when you see all these flags aligned against you. Uh, and it, it is interesting, though, like I said, the, the, the timing, though, with, with the presidential election coming up, mm. it'll be interesting to see if E.J. Myung or uh, now his now we learn today who is going to be going up against Yoon Sung-yeol on the conservative side, what comments they make uh, and how closely that may align with Pyongyang. Mm. Uh, Jong-un, do you have any, any thoughts on that, on you know, this election coming up in just a couple of months' time? Um, what, what are the North Korea stances of the, the two respective candidates? Um... A bit closer to the mic when you do say something. Sorry, I'm thinking about my yeah. own voting um, decisions I will have to make in a few months. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I think North Korea in general, uh, it seems they have been uh, criticizing you mostly uh, for how um, such a uh, you call them panjaksta in South Korea or North Korea. You you call them someone who becomes like a rising star and then will disappear hmm. in a second. A so, flash in the pan. Yes. So one South uh, North Korean um, propaganda article, actually many of them were referring to Yoon as something like that, uh, comparing him to Pan Ki-moon, mm -hmm. uh, the former UN Secretary General. Um, and it seems... Who, who also made a presidential run? Briefly? He, yeah, he did. He did. He, he didn't get... To, uh, to. Um, enough party support or no. something, but yeah, he had to withdraw, but he did mm -hmm. run uh, the previous time. Right. I think on Lee Jae-myung, North Korea's views will be pretty clear compared to the conservative uh, candidate. Uh, Lee Jae-myung, uh, largely, although he is sort of uh, um, continuing the Moon administration legacy on North Korea engagement, but because it seems he wants the Milgarm votes as well, he said that if North Korea insults South Korea, he wouldn't be just um, not responding to it. Mm. So something like that. So he is aiming for this um, not too much engagement, but in general, he is trying to carry on the legacy. But Yoon, he's very much unclear. I think from North Korea's point of view, they will be also confused as well mm. because Yoon, uh, Yoon Sagar is a former uh, prosecutor general in South Korea and he worked for Moon administration and he right. was the one who worked very hard to um, up until the impeachment of former President Park Geun-hye, which North Korea hated. But then uh, for Yoon, things unraveled um, at the end um, during his term uh, with some domestic scandals and domestic uh, political fights. And then he resigned at the end. Um, 
And now he's he's become this figure, a very anti-Moon figure. I think that is why many of the people voted for him in the primary that the results came out just hours ago. Right. Um, and it seems, if I read all of his statements so far, it seems all in all, it's... Um, we will do whatever Moon administration done wrong sort of uh, strategy right now. Very Trumpian. It's very much a, a, an anti-Obama Actually, candidate. Actually, one right? of his actual mottos was make South Korea leap again. <laughs> what? Uh, Mala? Oh, hang on, sorry. Double digit McCullough. developing state growth. Is that what he's talking in, in about? In English, I think it was in Korean, but my translation. Goodness me. Um, now, but the party that he's representing is, you know, traditionally the, the hardline, more hawkish party on North Korea policy, right? So can we maybe expect his policy to align more closely with that uh, as we get closer to the election? I think we uh, will have to consider how so far and up until the primary result, um, Yoon would have had to try to win the party members' votes a little bit. I think that's why so far he was focusing on how he... Um, he, he he thinks that the USRK alliance is the most important thing when it comes to any foreign policy, including North Korea policy. And he was talking about this extended deterrence thing to make it more reliable. Mm. So it generally is in line with the conservatives who usually say, but it's a little bit different. He he was a person who was in the Moon administration, and also, more importantly, his political c career is four months old. He's right. not he's not from the politician background. He's from a um, unlike E.J. Young, who he's going up against, who yep. has right. years very, and years and years, very and lots different. of statements and on the track record. We're, we're reasonably sure where he stands. The mayor or governor. Yun Sung Yeol is 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 a big black box. Uh, it's a wild card. He's Jung very you're working on a different. great analysis. We're going to publish this on Monday, so I would encourage all the listeners to check that out. That's yes. Monday, Korea Standard Time. Right. Um, and yeah, it's it's going to hopefully answer uh, a lot of these questions that we have would, now. One question I have is: Would any either Min Dang or uh, the opposition, the next president, would they be likely to free Park Geun-hye and Lee Myung-bak, the former South Korean presidents? There are ongoing polls on there, and it was the latest one. It was neck to neck when it comes to public support and they will really have to see how much approval rate they have whichever candidate becomes a president because these issues are very sensitive hmm. and still yeah yeah, gosh, yeah. I mean, normally uh, electorates have uh, have short memories and after five years go by you could normally expect them to stop caring about a particular issue it's interesting to see that you know that they're, they're still uh, oh, such that, a strong feeling about that would it. make for an interesting office betting pool who gets out first Im young bak or pak <laughs> We, we will actually. Uh, let, let's get that pool going. Um, now, there is a, a new calendar that's out for next year. Arius, tell us a bit about that. Well, I'm surprised we did not lead with this story at the beginning of the podcast. We should have led this with it. is, in fact, the most important development uh, coming <laughs> out uh, from the North Korea news beat in several years. Uh, we have a wonderful 2022 calendar uh, with uh, some never-before-seen images, high-res, crystal clear, very, very beautiful aspects of North Korean life. Um, everything from the military to farming to just everyday moments on the streets of Pyongyang. Uh, and I would re really, really encourage anybody who has a very deep interest in Korea or maybe has a friend or family member uh, that likes to look at one of the most rarely seen parts of the world mm. uh, to pick one up. These are 12 rare glimpses? Uh, rare glimpses, yes. The rarest, the rarest yeah. of glimpses. Mm. Actually 14 if you include the back cover and the front cover. Oh, fantastic. So so actually must, 12, yes. 12 photographs. Uh, sorry, 14 photographs, yeah. I beg your pardon, yeah. 
Uh, and all the important North Korean calendar dates are actually mentioned there, right? So you've got your That's Kim Il-sung right. birthday, Kim Jong-il birthday, uh, National Day, Army Founding Day, all those things. Yeah, they're all there. And uh, that's, I, I, I actually find, I have the, normally I have the off- the calendar on the wall in the office right next to where I work. And uh, I've v- very often found it useful to just glance up and see, oh, uh, you know, this particular holidays coming up etc right like oh it's north it's a day that north korea shot its icbm or something like yeah, that right. or november north korean mother's day uh, now how can people get a hold of this calendar uh go to nknews.org forward slash shop um alternatively you can just go to amazon.com and mm. search uh north korea war calendar 2022 this is the first time we um are doing the calendar via Amazon, and I've got to say, it's uh, it's yeah, very relaxing for us. That, you know, in the early days of NK News, I remember in the first time we did the calendar, I personally shipped all of the calendars and had to write the labels out, and it was lick the stamps. Yeah, it was just you almost poisoned himself. Your stamp glue going to USPS drop points in DC. It was a pain in the ass, and shipping to Australia. I think it was like twenty bucks for a single calendar, and, and now Amazon ship anywhere in the world for like i think eight dollars so they, mm. they no have amazon a, prime huh they i don't know if they do prime mm-hmm. but um yeah it's uh it's, it's a big move from the days when i used to do that when i was young thank you yeah, it was my birthday the other day so i'm feeling old <laughs> oh. yeah. uh final thoughts to leave us with yeah, so, uh, I mean, coming up over the next few weeks, uh, we still have several more days of COP26. Um, obviously, any time the, the South Koreans, the Americans, and the North Koreans are all at one conference, mm. you never know what might spill out of that. Um, there's also some signs, possibly, maybe, kind of, sort of, there might be a second um, SLBM launch in as, many lun- in, in as many months coming out of North Korea. Uh, nothing confirmed, but that's also something uh, to keep an eye out. Also, next month, uh, we are going to start publishing a series of mm. articles, pictures, uh, other fun stuff on the 10-year anniversary of Kim Jong-un's rule and also the 10-year anniversary of the death of Kim Jong-il. So stay tuned for that. That's right. That's December. December, I always forget the date. December but it was 17th. December 17th. It's my, my birthday. My, and my daughter's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. There's a lot to remember there. Okay. I think maybe. Well, yeah, just to add, um, when the South Korean delegation gets back from COP, uh, I think we can expect a draft of the end of war declaration to be agreed to. And uh, it's possible they may submit that to the North Koreans through their private channel and... Who knows what will happen from that point? Um, <clears throat> I can't see why the North Koreans will be interested in this unless it comes accompanied with some major sanctions relief or a South Korean pledge to halt US ROK exercises or mm. a pledge to halt modernization efforts of ROC military forces. I don't think any of those things are going to happen. Um, on the US side, I don't see why they would sign up for it either. And, you know, I, I posted this on Twitter a few days ago, but we all forget there was an end of war declaration in, drafted at mm. the Hanoi summit. Um, it was part of the the uh, negotiation, and um, we all know how, you know, admittedly Trump did walk away from that, but I think the friction points that led to Trump walking out have not disappeared, mm. so I can't imagine those will magically be resolved. Um 
So it's yeah, it's, it's an interesting. I, I I'm kind of puzzled why Moon is putting so much uh, currency into this, but yeah. um, I don't see it working out well. Something for the legacy, you know. Legacy's a uh, it's a big uh, word. Yeah, there. I, mean, I mean, it feels like he just wants to leave no stone unturned. Right. And um, at least he can you know end his presidency saying I tried my best. Yeah, that's true. Chongmin. Uh, for me, the next few months will. Mainly be about maybe the end of war declaration developments or the South Korean presidential election. Now that we know who will be the two rivals mm-hmm. at the election, and uh, if any listeners want to have like a full English translation of any of the uh, the the two candidates' remarks about North Korea, please feel free to let me know so I know uh, what the readers want to read about. Best way to contact you is on Twitter. Twitter, uh, yes, Twitter is the quickest. What's your handle? J-E-O-N-G-M-I-N-N-N-K-I-M. And also, as a final remarks, I really wanted to say thank you for people um, in Sweden who made time to meet me and share their insights. It's very different to meet people with much more experience than I am, uh, to meet them in person rather than just calling them on the desk Mm. and really hearing their stories, how they actually engage with North Koreans in person. Yeah, thank you. Likewise, on London, everyone I got to meet and... uh, Sorry, uh, there were a lot of important people I didn't get to meet. Uh, it was just a very short trip, so next time. Yeah, big thank you to the Swedes. Uh, that was very sweet of them. <laughs> All right, thanks once again, Chad, Jongmin and Arias, for coming on the NK News podcast. And it's nice to be around the table with you in live, uh, in real life and on, in person again. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, sure. Jacko. Thanks so much. We'll have many more of these. Ladies and gentlemen, if you already have an NK News subscription, take a look at our NK Pro platform, which offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. Inquire about access at membership at nknews.org today. And also, if you have feedback, questions, or guest recommendations or complaints, please send them to podcast at nknews.org. Our thanks, as always, to... Arius, Darren, Brian, Betts for facilitating this podcast and to Gabby Magnuson, our new post-recording producer genius. Thanks and listen again next time.